Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog for sports odds. For free casino games, make a play at bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you once again. Another edition of the off-season pods here as uh, we're getting a little bit of news that sort of trickles our way almost daily nowadays, J-Pat. And it's going to start to steam or uh, get some steam over the next few weeks here as we lead up to free agency. Of course, the NHL draft going down. Many people wondering if the Canucks are going to be active One name that we have been looking at a lot throughout the season was Brock Besser. And we got a little bit of a nugget yesterday from Pierre Lebrun saying, it's all quiet on the Besser front when it comes to the Canucks. And not only that, they're prepared to stick with Brock if the price that they get offered isn't right. Run it on back. Here we go. Your 2023-24 Vancouver Canucks looking an awful lot like your 2022-23 Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Look, I I suppose I'm not shocked that people aren't ringing the phones off the hook at Rogers Arena looking to get their hands on Brock Besser. I mean, this has been an ongoing story for uh, however long and, you know, not just the team, but his agent involved trying to broker a deal. Uh, The contract is onerous. It is. And, you know, maybe I I, I guess at some level you got to be prepared that he is going to come back just because there are no takers or at least... Uh, you know, the Canucks don't like what they're being asked to part with as a sweetener or retain in salary to make that deal happen. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe you start to wrap your head around uh, another season with Brock Besser here. You know, do I think that this little information nugget, as you called it, is going to stop the Brock Besser trade speculation in this market? Not for a second. Uh, there's two years left on a onerous contract. So, you know, maybe it's next year's trade deadline. Maybe it's this time next year. Maybe it's the 2025 trade deadline. It's the Brock Besser saga that will never end, apparently. Um, you know, but if he comes back, I, I, I wrote and we talked about on yesterday's podcast about improvement from within. And purposely, I ignored Brock Besser, Connor Garland, and JT Miller just because of the uncertainty of any of those guys coming back. Uh, quite frankly, though, like I, I don't even know what my expectations would be now for Brock Besser at the age of 26. And uh, last year was supposed to be the 30-goal season. Obviously, he didn't even get to 20. So, like, maybe the best thing possible would that, you know, Brock Besser returns, flies under the radar, nobody really talks about him, and he, you know, exceeds whatever expectations are set. Um, but I don't know what even that looks like. Like, you know, forget 30 when you score 18, like maybe the bar is 25. And I I think it's so important to remember too, like when Brock Besser broke into the National Hockey League, the Canucks needed him to score goals. They had nobody else to score goals. Like he was the golden boy with this incredible shot and had every opportunity to use it. And he scored 29 as a rookie and 26 the next year. Well, guess what? Along came Elias Pettersson. Along came J.T. Miller. Along came Andre Kuzmenko. Now Anthony Beauvillier is here. You know, Bo Horvat was there throughout. Like, there are other guys that are expected to score. There's one puck out there on the ice. And so I do wonder, again, if we all have to just take a step back and shift the way we look at Brock Besser and the role that he plays. And if he comes back, and, you know, we don't know what their opening night roster looks like, but based on what they have on the roster right now, yeah, I could easily see Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and either Mikheyev or uh, Beauvillier. But if Mikheyev, let's say that he's on the second line, you know, could it be Miller, Mikheyev, and Besser? Yeah, possibly. 
But then you got Connor Garland. Um, you know, is Besser locked into the top six on the Vancouver Canucks the way that they're uh, set up right now? I, I would say he, he's probable to be in the top six forward group, but I don't think that it's absolutely etched in stone. And we know that Rick Tockett implored him repeatedly to get in on the four check and do more to sort of leave his mark on hockey games. And so, you know, if he comes back at this stage of his career, and, and I don't know what kind of offseason he's having. I mean, we all know that Tockett's, you know, expecting them to have massive offseasons. But that means different things for different guys, obviously. But... Like, I just, I don't know. I, I guess at this stage, I kind of am lowering my expectations with Brock Besser uh, that he can still be a complimentary piece on the Vancouver Canucks. But I just think that there are other guys that have emerged that are legitimate goal scorers that are, you know, carry more star power and cachet with this hockey club. And so I would think that next year will probably look a lot like this past year did. Yeah, I'm just sort of looking at the the depth chart right now. And there's no Puck Holzen or Hoaglander anywhere within the 12th uh, forward group. So you pencil them in, perhaps move PDG back down into a fourth line because they have them on a third line here on cap friendly. So basically it's Connor Garland or Brock Besser that are kind of the guys that you're looking to move out. And I know that's, I'm stating the obvious here because a lot of people know that they want to get rid of those contracts. Besser probably is going to give you the most in a trade and I know that there's been some rumblings around Chicago. If I am the Vancouver Canucks, I think that's really maybe the best spot you could put them. And if you could get a trade with Chicago sorted out, like Besser might thrive in that environment. It, you might be able to get a good hockey trade out of that, uh, considering the return. And you could probably take picks for them, considering the depth you already have here still in Vancouver. On the wing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always dangerous if you're just focusing on one team and one team only. I mean, I think the hope was that the Canucks could, you know, create this market and try to sell teams on the fact that he's been a 29-goal scorer and a 26-goal scorer. And last year, you know, even though the goal total was down, was just a point off his career high. Uh, you know, the problem there is the career high is 56. It's not 96. And so even though he was a point off his career high, uh, you know, the bar isn't set to the moon it's uh you know that's a, a modest total for a guy that is getting paid six and a half million dollars and and so uh you know again this ordeal has been going on so long i think it's evident that with his contract that it's just not the kind of player at that price point that teams are looking to take on at yeah. this stage so you know again if he comes back can he play for the vancouver Canucks? sure is he an nhler absolutely like this isn't a guy that can't play in the league it's just a question of if he comes back and he's a full-time player for the Vancouver Canucks, you know, I think this is where the conversation is now headed. What does it look like and what can you really realistically expect from him? You know, Horvat's not here. So, you know, there is a spot on the power play. Not that I would expect him to slide into Bo Horvat's bumper spot, but, you know, we saw him and Kuzmenko sort of alternate on power play one. Well, if you're on the top unit power play, it stands to reason that you're going to pick up a few points along the way. You know, he can be a net front guy, puck retrieval, um, but he's not going to be a featured shooter on the first unit just because JT Miller's got one side and Patterson's got the other. So, um, you know, I, I think in that sense, it's kind of clear where he would play on the power play. And then if he's not on power play one, 
you know, can he be more of a featured guy on the second unit? Perhaps, but we know that the second unit, A, doesn't get a lot of opportunity, and B, you're playing with lesser players, so you have to factor that in as well when you're coming up with, with expectations. So, you know, the 18 goals last year, it, let's be honest, I think for everybody it was a disappointing number. We all know the story. Uh, the start training camp and then playing catch up the rest of the way got to the point that he was that close to being a healthy scratch in December on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. I'm glad for a lot of reasons that it didn't happen, but you know, it, it almost did. And so there has to be some sort of takeaway there. You know, like most guys, you know, I, I think he pulled his weight and was better under Tockett than he was under Bruce Boudreaux at the start of last season, but he was also the guy that got the biggest Bruce bump when Boudreaux took over in the previous season. So, you know, it wasn't like he couldn't or didn't play for Bruce Boudreaux. But, you know, it can't be every year that Brock Besser needs a coaching change to be a sharp stick to, you know, to prod him to get going. And now that Tockett's here, I'm not expecting there's going to be a coaching change this year. So, uh, you know, there's a long list of guys that have to show up and be ready from the first day of training camp. And not that he wasn't last year, but, I mean, three days into camp, if he breaks his wrist or you know, whatever it was that happened to his hand. But this is a guy that has to hit the ground running. And just, you know, if he's ever going to be the player that he, that I think people still want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, look, I like Brock Besser. Good dude. I think the fan base likes Brock Besser. People want... He's 400 games into his career. Yeah, like like... People, but people pull for him. You cheer for him. Like, he's a likable guy and you want to see him do well. But at some point, he's 26 now. Like, he'll turn 27 in February of next season. At some point, you are what you are, right? And, like, is he going to go through his entire career where we talk about that elusive 30-goal season? Like, it kind of feels like if it's going to happen, it... it probably has to happen sooner rather than later. Like, I'm not expecting him to have this late you know, late career surge where out of nowhere, uh, you know, a lightning bolt strikes and he becomes this 30-goal scorer. So, yeah, I mean, you know, LeBron's got great sources and I trust that, uh, you know, what he's telling us is an accurate portrayal of the landscape out there, which is a continuation of this story, as we said, that's been going on for the better part of a couple of seasons now. Yeah, I mentioned Chicago just because of the uh, rumors that there there was talks between them, but also sure. too because of the cap space that they'll have and the fact that they'll probably welcome a player like Brock Besser in. Like it would be a good sort of test for them. Put him beside perhaps uh, Connor Bedard. I know they just uh, locked up Athanasiu yesterday, who's kind of a similar player in terms of Brock Besser, like a guy that you thought was going to reach a certain point and really hasn't gotten there just yet. Reclamation project, if you will. But I think Besser would be a good fit there. However, like in LeBron's report here that, you know, Besser requested that meeting to talk to Patrick Galvin and stress that he wants to stay put here. So you like you like to hear that. That's fine. But I, I, sure, but but that's partly because you don't want the inconvenience of packing up all your stuff and moving you sure? somewhere you, else. You think that's the case? Right? Or like do you think is, perhaps Besser's like, you know? Well, at some, at, at some level, yeah. Like I think that's human nature. I'm not just saying this is just Brock, but... Like, it's a pain in the ass to move. Like, I think anybody and everybody knows that. This is what he knows. This is the franchise that drafted him. I think he probably feels there's some unfinished business here. He's got friends. He's put down roots in Vancouver. Okay. Like, I get that. Like, for a lot of reasons, I understand why it's a great city. The hockey team's not so great. <laughs> uh, but he wants to be a part of changing that narrative, right? Like, he's gone through the bubble. That's his exposure to playoff hockey. I mean, this is a guy that was drafted in 2015. It's 2023. He's never played a playoff game at Rogers Arena, right? Like that, that has to suck. 
he hasn't played much playoff hockey, period, but what playoff hockey he played was in the bubble. This is a guy that's never experienced a playoff game in the building that he's called home throughout his career. And again, he'll be 27 uh, by the time next season rolls around. So, no, I, 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 like, I truly believe he wants to be here, but it's business, and you don't always get you, what you want. And for the Vancouver Canucks, again, like that's a juicy chunk of the salary cap if they could move off all or a good portion of that contract. And that's why I say, I, like, I'll take this report now, but it really, I don't think it changes an awful lot that if the Canucks do find an offer to their liking on this player, I think they're going to listen long and hard and ultimately at some point pull the trigger. I know that Sakaris and Price were asking, you know, will he play out his contract here in Vancouver? And I, and I voted no, just that, uh, again, a year from now with one year left on the deal, uh, at the trade deadline at the end of that contract as a rental player, um, you know, I, I still think that there are some exit avenues for the Vancouver Canucks uh, when it comes to Brock So Besser probably wants to stay here. You didn't want to be at that kid's baseball game last night. <laughs> well, let me hang on. It was my nephew. So I wanted to be there. I mean, I mean, I, I, I didn't go to any of the other games. It's like five minutes from my house. But it's championship game. My brother had said, hey, like, Nathan's playing this championship game. You know, should come out. My kid used to play on that very diamond. And I kind of had filed away just how, like, agonizingly slow <laughs> nine-year-old baseball is. And again, this is a championship of their league. Why so is it a are, championship in June? June 7th? Yeah, well, the school year is coming to an end. That's when baseball Oh, it's here, a school team. Gotcha. Well, no, no, no. But the baseball season lines up with the end of, like, they don't play league play into July. Like, the school, it, it all lines up. So... Well, if you had kids, you'd get it, but whatever. Yeah, I played ball though at nine. I was playing ball all summer at night. Well, no, there's summer nope. ball. This is the spring league or whatever it is that the championship okay, comes okay. to an end here. And then you get into all-stars and uh, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, what I had forgotten was, like, nobody hits because the pitching is just brutal. Again, they're nine years old. But not only is the pitching bad so that everybody walks, but almost every pitch hits the backstop, and so there's a passed ball on every pitch. You know, the, the guys that strike out, they stand there with their bat, so everybody goes deep into the count, and it just, they're nine years old, it shouldn't take three hours. Like, soccer at that level is like a 90-minute game. These kids don't have attention spans. I don't have an attention span, and I was just the uncle sitting up there in the stands. You want the pitch clock, is that what you're saying? Oh, my God, if ever. And then the worst part, is and when I tweeted that out, I had a lot of people that were on my side with this one. It's the changeover between like every half inning. Yeah. Uh, first of all, again, the pitchers can't pitch, so they don't need fifteen warm up pitches. And then the you know the infields like doing infield, and every kid's throwing it past the first baseman, and he's chasing the <laughs> ball. And, like it just it, 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 the bad news bears. If people oh, the reference, man. like they, anyways, they're nine years old. Like their attention span for anything is about two seconds. And so to expect them, like, I just felt bad for the kids in the outfield because, again, there's no balls that are put in play. So the outfielders building sandcastles, spinning around on their glove. <laughs> um, They've got to tighten it up. And I, 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 even when my kid played, I remember, like, it's <laughs> tough. It it's t you stick the, you know, the, the worst kids, and it's true, in the outfield, and like, they just, they've got nothing to do. So, yes, 
my nephew's kid and my nephew's team won the championship. Uh, so good on them. Was it one nothing or like no? God no! Wild, wild pitch. No, the they, they walk everybody around and then they just like okay. like no, it was high scoring. I think it was like fifteen to nine or something. Um, but there's an MLB commercial for a guy that is is bitching at a yeah. kid's uh, little league game. That's you. Uh, you're, you're you're that guy from bit, that commercial yeah. right now. Like, yeah. Anyways, I was. It, it was funny because the next league up was playing on the adjacent diamond. So you wouldn't watch that game instead. Well, that game ended forty five minutes sooner. Be- oh my God. Because they make plays, they put balls in play, they swing at the first pitch, and there aren't nearly the errors. And this is just one level up. So the difference was stark between the like nine-year-old championship game and I guess that was 10 and 11-year-olds. Anyways, like I love baseball at that level. Like I, I love sort of the, you know, just the, it was great. There were 500 people out in the neighborhood. 500 For people. those two games, I swear to God. Like they were just, Wow. And so I love that part, the community aspect and everything else. It was a lovely night. Like, the weather was great. But tighten it up. And especially between the innings. Like, three warm-up pitches and go. This is classic. The infield. Right Nine-year-olds don't need <laughs> infield work between. Like, it's just, it's just because it's always been that way. No. If you're coaches and you're listening to me, if you run Little League at some level, like, make some changes. Tighten it up. Let's go. And then Uncle Jeff can, uh, yeah. you know, he can see his nephew and get right, the hell well, out of there. I play baseball. My men's league team is, there's five pitches between innings. Like, we, we speed things up. But we Sign also, like, up. our games are nine innings or two and a half hours. Like, whatever comes first. Yeah. Right? There's no new inning after. Because not every pitch hits the backstop. Yeah. The yeah. catcher can catch. The pitcher can pitch. Most of our games batters- most, most of our games get to nine innings unless it's unless some team's, like, really teeing off yeah. on somebody else. But mostly get to nine. Oh, maybe, you know, maybe they might need some better coaching. Might have to, to help them out there. Hey, listen, since we're talking about another sport outside of... Better administration, I think, yeah. is what it comes down to. <laughs> you better get in there. You should be the commission. Seriously. Uh, since we're talking about other sports outside of hockey, we had a special interview this week with a UFC fighter, Mike Molot, who is out of Burlington, Ontario, is fighting at UFC uh, 289 Nunez versus Aldana this weekend at Rogers Arena. And he's squaring off against Adam Fujit, who fights out of Eugene, Oregon. Mike is 9-1. Fujit is 9-3. We spoke with Mike a little bit earlier this week. However, there is a hockey tie here, J-Pat. Yeah. No, a strong one. His brother. Uh, You you take it from here. Yeah. Like, his brother has played in the National Hockey League. He's in the Winnipeg Winnipeg Jets system. Yep. Primarily an AHL. A big dude. Like, 6'5". But he's played in the show. He got up uh, for a game, I think, at the tail end of last season in Chicago. So, uh, yeah. I mean, yes, it's the UFC weekend. It's coming back to Rogers Arena. Of course, that's the home of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, but, yeah, uh, we thought uh, we'd kind of shake things up a little bit here and uh, bring a UFC guy onto the podcast, but one with a really strong connection to the game that we cover. Yeah, his brother Jeff Malad, as you mentioned, big dude, over 200 pounds as well, has played one NHL game, but he had a full season uh, with Manitoba last year, 44 points in 71 games. He's a goal scorer too, J-Pat, had 23 tallies in that. So here is our interview with Mike Malad on the other side, right here, rink-wide Vancouver. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. 
The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. And joining us now, Mike Malott as UFC 289. Nunez versus Aldana is coming here to Vancouver. The sixth time the UFC, J-Pat, has been to Vancouver. However... With our next guest here, Mike Malad, of course, his brother has a hockey connection. And seeing as this is a hockey podcast, Mike, your brother Jeff is a pro playing in the Winnipeg Jets organization. So how did you get to the UFC, whereas your brother is now in the NHL or AHL? Well, you know, we're both Canadian kids, so I feel like every Canadian kid dreams of growing up and playing in the NHL. You know, I, I certainly had aspirations to grow up and see you know canadian flags in the stands and and be able to represent canada on on an international stage obviously the the venue has changed from playing hockey to fighting in a cage but uh yeah my brother was an awesome hockey player growing up always always did really well and worked really hard and you know i i tried hard and i was i was pretty brutal at hockey like i you know i played sing i played single a for a little bit but Man, I was I was uh, I was barely on the team, you know, like fourth string single A. I was not a great hockey player, and uh, it, it didn't take me too long to realize that's not going to be a, <laughs> a career path. Well, what about the UFC then? How do you how do you dive into the UFC being a Canadian kid from Burlington? Dude, honestly, I ask myself the same thing sometimes. Like I re- I, <laughs> I remember seeing it on TV for the first time. I was at my buddy Chris May's house, and we were watching fights, and it just like are we watching TV? And somehow we just like flipped to a, a channel. And I was like, what the hell is this? It was Vitor Belfort knocking out Marvin Eastman. I'm like, you can do that? Like, that's a thing people do is, like, they fist fight in cages on TV for a living. Like, And it was some, like, weird, familiar connection. It's almost like deja vu or when you've, like, met somebody for the first time, but you feel like you've known them. It was like that where it just immediately felt familiar. And I just had this moment of, like, I'm going to do that for a living. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do that for a living. It didn't take too long before I started training at like a local family martial arts gym. And that was like my, my intro to mixed martial arts was like traditional martial arts, like family style martial arts. But, uh, you know, I just always tried to seek out the best training I could wherever I was and, and incrementally, you know, start at the bottom of a a new gym and work my way up and then find a new one that's better and, and work my way up or a new area or, you know, move away for, for school when I went to Dalhousie and, and worked my way up through, some great gyms out there and then back in Ontario and then moved down to California to train for uh, the last uh, seven years before making my debut. Uh, I've been back here since my debut in the UFC. Um, but uh, just kind of traveled North America and, and was seeking out the best training I possibly could. And, and uh, it's just been, been working out so far. Hey Mike, I'm really curious. Uh, Andrew said it's a hockey pod and 
you know, everything we do sort of tracks back to hockey. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we think of game day for players and the routine and a game day skate and all that type of stuff. What is fight day like for you? We know what fight night is like when you step into the cage ultimately, Mm -hmm. but like, is the day itself, is it Zen? Are you chilling and laying back? Are you getting in a workout? What's fight day like for you in the hours leading up to stepping into the octagon? Fight day can often be full of a lot of feelings. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit of an anxious day at times. Uh, we tend to get a shakeout in, we call it a shakeout. So we tend to get a, a light workout in, in the morning just to get that first sweat going and get the, that, you know, jitteriness out of your, out of your muscles so that you can get a quick warm up before the fight. Um, other than that, it's, it's a lot of like hurry up and wait. It's like, get the meals in that you can sit around. Like if you read them, if you like reading, read a book, if you're playing video games, bring a console with you. If you like watching movies, like it's a lot of sitting around waiting until fight day. Cause it's, you know, it's an awkward day too. Cause people often think like, Oh man, I'd feel this way when I'm, I'm having a big fight or I'd, I'd do this fight night. And it's like, you think about that, like right now, okay, I'd step in the cage, but it, you don't think about the 10 hours between waking up and getting to the venue and then sitting in the back. And there's like two or three hours where you just like, they bring you to your locker room. You're like, so what do I do now? They're like, wait, you like, you, you're not, you're not on for a couple hours. And no, no matter what you do, it's not hurrying up. So you just kind of have to sit around and and soak in it until it's until it's fight night, and you're seeing the TV on in the corner, and you're like trying to stay in the zone. And then you hear just like, "Oh, somebody got knocked out brutally," and you're like, "Oh crap! Like, what am I doing, man? This is all right. All right no, 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 back in the zone, back in the zone." I remember uh, I fought in contender series to get into the UFC, and the first fight of the night was an absolute bloodbath. They beat the crap out of each other, and uh, it was one of those like look over at the TV. I'm like is that what I'm about to get into? Am I in for that? And I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like if that's what happens, it happens. But you know, it ended up being a 39 second choke and I didn't get hit. So I was happier with that. But if it, if it comes to a, a knock them down, drag them out, who's got, who's got more in the tank. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that one too. You know, it's funny because hockey fighters so often will tell stories after their careers of, uh, you know, and you talk a little bit about anxiety and, and, you know, they, they knew when they went to sleep the night before that pretty good chance that they were going to fight the tough guy on the other team. Like, do you play out the fight in your mind in the way that you think it might go? Or is it the ultimate case of it's great to have a plan until somebody punches you in the face and then the plan goes out the window? It's both. I play, I, I've played this fight out in my head thousands of times already. Like throughout fight camp, a good portion of my day is thinking about the fight, like especially driving. Like after the gym, I'm thinking about what I did at practice, but I'm also thinking about how it can translate to a fight, what I need to do differently, what I, I did well and I need to continue to do. Same thing with when I'm in there in practice. I'm like, how is this going to translate to a fight? It's great to get a cool workout in, but like if all you're doing is going through the motion and sweating, how do you see this translating to a high-pressure, high-profile event, right? So I... I am constantly in that mind frame of like, how am I going to be in the fight? I have, I don't necessarily want to give away my tricks, but I was just driving for the last hour, running through mental exercises, running through visualization, running through breathing exercises. So I spend hours a day at the gym. I spend hours throughout the day in recovery. And then I spend hours throughout the day, just visualizing and going through mental exercises. So it really does take up like my, my entire day. I used to watch a lot of TV and I just kind of realized last week, I'm like, dude, I haven't watched TV in months. Like it's just, I don't have time. Like the days and I love it. My day's full. I'm like up, up early all day long going. And then I go to bed. I'm like, man, that was a super productive day. Like I'm really happy with everything I put in, but, but it is also a lot. I'll be, 
I'll be happy to take a little break after giving this one everything I've got. You are one of the rising stars from Canada uh, in the UFC here. How did you go about, you know, climbing those ranks? Like you talked about how you got up to the UFC, but how do you get to the contender series and how do you get Dana White to know who your name is? So I, I cornered uh, a lot of UFC fighters before getting into the UFC. So part of my journey in California, I took a few years off competing in MMA and I just coached. So I cornered like 20 or 20 something UFC fights. One of them was Cody Garbrandt fighting for a UFC world title. One of them was Uriah Faber, uh, his return out of retirement fight. Like, guys, you know, Faber's a guy I've been watching since high school. I'm like, how the hell am I in this dude's corner, like, coaching him? I've been watching you since high school. And, uh, you know, those guys kind of brought me in and, and trusted my my advice and my input and my experience. And from there, like, when I came back into MMA, I, I beat, like, a really tough contender, undefeated kid who was, like, running through everybody, and I beat him in under two minutes. And then the, the UFC was, was asking our, our big team, Team Alpha Male, like, who do you guys have that, that we, you'd think would do well? And they pushed me first. They're like, this is the guy. You have to put him in. Like, he doesn't have a huge record, but trust us, he's the guy. Plus, you know, you guys definitely need some Canadians. So it, it checked a lot of boxes for the UFC. And I fought a tough, undefeated kid from Israel. Um, again, same thing. He'd been walking through everybody, and I beat him in, in under a minute. Uh, by submission with a strangle and then once I got in the UFC just I, I had a big high profile fight right off the bat I fought Mickey Gall who was like one of the UFC's kind of stars he'd never been like close to getting a title shot or anything like that but he was like a big name he, he beat up CM Punk who was like a WWE wrestler and then uh, he beat a friend of mine who was another star Sage Northcutt so those were like a couple big high profile fights I got in there with him he had had like 12 fights in the UFC or something like that and I knocked him out in the first round so there was a lot of like hype around that one. And then, and then uh, my last one was against another Canadian guy and got a submission in that one, another first round stoppage. So I think one being pushed by like a big team helped me get there a lot. I think once I got in getting a big push to fight like a well-known name that everybody was tuning in to see and, and put on a good performance against him. Like he had never been knocked out and I knocked him out in the first round and then being able to just, put guys away like all my wins all my nine wins are first round stoppages so I think that brings like a decent amount of hype to it too I'm not like the kind of guy to just tiptoe their way through fights and outpoint guys and just like try to get through as safely as possible and make it boring like I like being in exciting fights and nothing would bum me out more than somebody going to one of my fights and like forgetting about it it's like I want people to know like no you know damn well you're at my fight like you remember me fighting man that was a fun night so yeah I think that's part of the reason that you know, I, I've gotten a little bit more exposure. And what about this opportunity to fight in Canada as a Canadian, home country fans uh, behind you and in your corner? What's that mean to you and what do you expect? It's been something I've been dreaming about my, my whole life, basically, is fighting in front of fighting in front of the fans in Canada. You know, obviously, the UFC believes in me and, and that's why they're putting me in this position, right? Like, it's, it's to, you know, I'm the final Canadian. I'm, I'm the final guy holding down the fort, you know, so... You can see that as being pressure, but I see it as being a privilege, man. Like this is a truly once, you know, potentially once in a lifetime opportunity. You know, I'm going to do this right, so I'll get more opportunities like this. But, you know, this is this is the first time I've ever done something like this. And uh, I'm so proud to be able to, like, represent us, man. I, I want UFC talent to be in the UFC. Like, I, I want us to be well represented and like if that can be me that that means the world to me so i think this is just like a huge opportunity i'm not taking it for granted i'm super grateful for it i've been putting in all the work i can like i really have left no stone unturned i'm, I'm not taking this lightly at all i'm making sure 
the best version of me goes into that cage. And right now I'm the best I've ever been. I'm the fastest, strongest, and best shape I've ever been. The toughest, the smartest. I'm ready to go into this fight and put on an absolute show and dismantle this man. Oh, I know. I'm putting my money down on this fight here. Love the confidence there. Uh, lastly, uh, do you have any sort of relationship with Dana White? Like, what, what's he like? I know he's a pretty, you know, impressive person, but uh, he seems to be kind of intimidating as well at times. Dude, he's definitely intimidating. I've only met him a, only met him a couple of times, but I'm like, dude, my entire life, I've you know, I've met him on Contender Series and and shook his hand when I got signed to the UFC. But it's like, dude, I've wanted you to be my boss my entire <laughs> life. Like, I've been dying to work for this guy, so hopefully, I didn't look like an idiot talking to him. But uh, no, I don't have much of a relationship with him yet. But we're on the main card of the UFC pay per view coming back to Canada. I'm the last Canadian on the card. I played my cards right in this one. I get this stoppage win. I think we'll have a pretty good relationship moving forward. Well, hopefully you have the Canadian crowd behind you. Your opponent, Adam Fujit, he's from Eugene, Oregon, which is about six and a half hours from here. So he'll probably have some family and friends in town. You might want to uh, get some uh, plane tickets out to the family to support you. But Canada will be behind you, as will we at UFC 289. Mike, thanks for joining. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. A Required Vancouver is presented by Bodog Sports Odds, Poker Tips, and free casino games. Nick A's play today. They're going to play tonight, J Pat. Game three between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers as it shifts to the Sunshine State. Uh, looking at the Bodog odds right now, they haven't changed. VGK at even. Florida still the favorite at minus 120. I got a prop bet, I think, for tonight that I like. Couldn't find that one about uh, penalties that you were talking about. Uh, Aiden Hill, over 30 and a half saves at minus 130. I just think Florida's going to try to get as many pucks on net tonight as possible. I mean, they're going to play, you know, desperation hockey. They're going to try to get at Hill, just throw everything at the net. So I think tonight, not saying that Florida's going to win, but I think Aiden Hill makes over 30 and a half saves. No, I like your reasoning there. I think uh, it's now or never for the Panthers. So sort of throw everything and the kitchen sink at the goaltender, get some bodies in front there and see if they can't squeeze a puck or two through. So a volume play here. Uh, and I think that makes some sense. Uh, I saw Paul Maurice talking about the fact that his team's been, in his words, more physical than they had to be, basically meaning going out of their way, uh, looking for hits and those types of things. You know, if they stick to hockey, we know that they've got a uh, high-octane offense. And uh, again, Matthew Kachuk, uh, you know, if he concentrates on the game itself, uh, one of the best in the business. And yeah, I mean, he plays with an edge and that kind of fuels him, but uh, I hope he sticks to hockey uh, if he does, then, yeah, I like Florida's chances here. I thought maybe there'd be a prop about, can you get in the parking lot at FLA Live Arena for under 100 bucks? Did you see Ian McIntyre, who's covering the series for Sportsnet, he posted a pic, 100 bucks for parking, just in the lots around the rink. Like, Stanley Cup final, everybody wants theirs. But at least for iMac, he can write that off, right? He's working. Others, others can't do that. <laughs> He's probably getting media parking. I'm not okay. worried about him. Okay. Trust me, I'm okay. not worried about him. But 
it, it, again, it's just you get this deep into the. I bet the play, when the playoffs started against Boston, parking was probably thirty. Oh, bucks. but maybe even know, less. I don't even know how many fans were there were, that were actual. Remember that first series? How many Boston fans were there? And then remember, remember they tried to lock out the Leaf fans as well. They need, they need a place to park that, too. That's right? true. That is uh, that is true. But I'm guessing the deeper you go, the you know, like everything, somebody wants to get their well, hands. Well, you would remember and, uh, get, 2011. This is, uh, I went to one playoff game during 2011. I had just started in media at that point. I went to one game in the first round, and then my media pass basically got taken by somebody else more important. So, what about the parking during 2011? Do you remember? The, did they gouge that one as well? Honestly, I, I have lots of memories of the 2011 Stanley Cup run. I don't recall. You probably didn't even park because we were working at 1040 at the time. So you probably didn't even park down at the stadium, right? Park over by, by 1040. No, because I remember the the night of Game 7 and the riot. I knew what was going on uh, watching the TVs in the Canucks locker room post game. And then I thought, like, I got to get back to the old 1040 station over on West 2nd. And I did drive. And I remember driving, short drive from Rogers Arena across the Camby Bridge. But... Uh, there was a massive staging area where the riot cops were all like hundreds of guys in riot. Like it was totally out of a movie as I drove by, you know, there's just an empty parking lot with probably 200 riot cops that were sort of staging there, getting ready for their marching orders. So definitely, I remember locking my doors. <laughs> I definitely remember that. I'm driving, like, make sure the doors are locked here. Um, so yeah, anyways, I, I did park somewhere. I can't remember. And I certainly don't remember uh, what the going rate was. But uh, yeah, it was on the company anyway. So it wasn't out of my pocket. Well, listen, if you're wondering about your going rate for your mortgage, perhaps you're not happy with it. You know who to call. Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Yeah, and he'll definitely be watching game three of the Stanley Cup final unless he's oh, out yeah. at a ballpark somewhere with one of his kids and then, uh, <laughs> you know, one of those never-ending games. But uh, then you PVR the hockey game, I suppose. Whatever the case. He'll want your call then. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Try to take and, him away from that well, game. He could probably talk to you between innings because there's like 15, 20 minutes between uh, any of the innings here. Uh, so, yeah, ring him up day or night. Uh, he's always on the clock and always on the on the job. And he'll make a pitch. For your business. See what I did there? Oh, look at you. But he probably won't have to make a pitch because this guy, this is what he does. You're going to want to work with him. And if you've got questions about your current mortgage, if you're getting into the housing market, uh, if you're up for a renewal, you know, don't let it just sit there with the paperwork in the top drawer. You know, get on it. Get on it and get ahead of the curve. Oh my, um, yeah. look at this. Right, enough. If you're in the uh, in the market for a new mortgage, look him up online, Jason Dodd Mortgage. And again, Jason Hominick. So it all starts with a phone call. He's waiting to talk to you. You knocked that out of the park. Hey, yeah. Okay, before we get out of here, one more reminder for the Best Buy contest. This is it now. It's getting real. Right. Head over to Twitter, at Van. Follow all the steps. You'll see it. It's pinned to our profile right at the top. Follow all the steps. Can't stress that enough. But you make it sound like there's a thousand steps. It's not. It's not that onerous. But Well, no, but the thing is, there's not that many. And the thing is, is when I went and looked for winners last week, I had to go to three because they hadn't, no, come they, on, they, they weren't doing what was what was required. So that's why I'm just stressing that. I want to give you $50 to Best Buy, right? So we got two more winners. We'll announce them on tomorrow's pod. So get that done. And like I said, we usually record early morning. So you're going to want to get it done before then tomorrow. All right, game three of the Stanley Cup final going down tonight. We'll recap that tomorrow. Plus, we'll talk to Patrick Johnston because it's a Friday and we'll put a bow on the week. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bow Dog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is a show. It all is good. Cool.